January 15th, 2022. And we're continuing as we began the last time we're up to this paragraph. And if you recall, in Perek Yodalef, we're talking about the piratim, the details of this midah of nikiyut, of cleanliness of sorts. And uh, this is uh, by far the broadest and uh, widest in terms of... Uh, scope that Mesilat Yesharim will address matters in. He's going to, and he, he told us he would, and he will um, go through many of, in, in his mind, and he quotes Ma'amare Hachamim, of the, um, the sins and involvements in wrongful activities that we are most prone to fall uh, into, uh, because oftentimes, if not always, we're able to rationalize and explain to ourselves that involvement in this and participation in this wrongful activity, for one reason or another, could be or should be envisioned as permitted. And uh, the first of those, and he quoted this Midrash of the Hachamim, that this is the one, and uh, easily uh, definable by each of us, I think, the one that uh, human beings uh, fall most to is Gezel, is in some way or another, thievery included in that is all sorts of, and he'll, he'll make this clear, dishonesty in the business uh, atmosphere and in any uh, commercial involvement and beyond. And uh, so he's, he's been quoting for us, and he will continue to, Ramha will, Ma'amarim uh, from the Hakamim about the, um, the difficulty in dealing with and the severity in making certain that you do in this sin of gezel, of uh, taking from another that which is not yours. Re'ena be'inyan ha'ona'ah. So he says, let's expand this a bit and talk now about ona'ah. Ona'ah, I guess, is translated best as fraud. Ona'a perhaps is a taking advantage. There are specific laws in the Gemara from the Torah, of course, that you're not allowed to take advantage of another with regards to, generally speaking, overcharging. But beyond overcharging, misleading in the business world and uh, in sales or uh, purchases. That's uh, very easy for a person to fall trap, uh, to be ensnared by uh, this, uh, this challenge of saying, all I'm trying to do is to make my goods uh, look good, to look, look right to the other. All I'm trying to do is to polish my goods in order to sell them appropriately. It's my own efforts that I'm putting into this. What could or should be wrong? You'll talk to the, a person, um, speak to their heart, attach yourself to their mind in order to attract them to what you're trying to do. The person will say, this is what the Hakamim mean when they state, the person who's has that zirizu, the person who has that alacrity, the ability to be strong-willed and, uh, and determined in any and every atmosphere in life, any and every realm in uh, your, your livelihood. Niskar, you'll be uh, niskar, you should make money from, from doing so, you should be rewarded. But yad harusim ta'ashir, the pasuk in Mishleh, similarly says, if you're a haritz about something, if you're a person who's steadfast and, and committed to a matter, ta'ashir, it'll bring you wealth, and as a result, it's, uh, it's very easily understandable uh, for each of us uh, that a person would and could rationalize and even elevate uh, the circumstance of ona'ah to assuming that it's permitted and even uh, praiseworthy. Omnam, im lo yidakdek v'yishkol ma'asav harbe hine tahat hita 
I cite a pasuk from Eov, if a person is not scrupulous in this matter, if they're not careful in determining what it is they're doing and what they should be abstaining from doing and saying and, and, and involving themselves in, tahita under the instead of wheat, you'll have hawah. Hawah is some sort of a shrub of sorts. In other words, uh, you, you won't have true growth. You'll be violating this Yisur from the Torah. And the Gemara and Hulin says, uh, even to mislead or even to be fraudulent to a non-Jew is forbidden. Ukraketiv, in fact, the Pasuk maybe alludes to this in Sefanya, She'erit Yisraelo Ya'asu Avla, it's forbidden to uh, even fix up old utensils to make them look new. If you have an old product and you're just uh, somehow making it appear as if it's new, that's forbidden, that's ona'a. You're not allowed to... Um, bring fruits from one area to another area, from one orchard to the next. Even if they're both uh, new growths, and as a result, no harm done, you'd say to yourself. Even if you're taking higher value and mixing it with lower value and selling it for the lower amount, so the statement in turn is of, of the hachamim, He's quoting from Harambam, he's quoting from the Halakha, uh, to, to mix and match without specifying, without making clear that this is what I'm doing, that's ona'ah, but I'm only bettering the buyer. Maybe and maybe not. I mean, the, the rationale in the opposite direction is perhaps they specifically want the vintage goods. Maybe the fruits and vegetables that they're looking for, they want a drier uh, 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 product in some respect. A person involved in ona'a, a person involved in such, uh, such uh, business dealings, has five terrible names, say the hachamim, what are they? Aval, Sanui, Mishukat, Metoav, maybe as well, Herem, Toreva, quoting from Sifre. There's a lot of derogatory uh, names for a person who's uh, not involved in Avodah Zarah, surprisingly, but uh, not even involved in, uh, you know, the thievery in the, uh, in the <clears throat> traditional sense. It's a person who's involved in Ona'ah, the everyday involvement in business, where a person determines for themselves that to say this is permitted because I'm only doing it for the better of the buyer, perhaps. It's still five derogatory names, among others. The Gemara in Masechet Bavakama is this strong statement, even if he stole a Shaveh Peruta. Shaveh Peruta is a small amount. It happens to be that's what we, we need the ring or the coin to be uh, to be the value of at a wedding. That's that's in Ona'ah. Here we're in Gezela. He's mixing Gezela and, and Ona'ah. Certainly the Halakha with regards to Ona'ah is the specific measurements. Here he's talking about, he's, he's reverting back to Gezela uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the strictest sense, but he says you might uh, rational, rationalize to yourself it's a Shaveh Peruta. It's a, it's a very small amount. 
not. In fact, that's what the Gemara in the last chapter of Masechet Sanhedrin suggests. Sanhedrin suggests that uh, that was the Dor HaMabul's wrongdoing, right? That was the, their way. Their way was to take less than Shaveh Peruta. They'd rationalize that this is technically speaking permitted. But if you went above that, it's uh, as if you're taking his soul from him. Which, as we suggested to a certain extent, at the core, at least in my mind, of the drive for people in the context of Gezil, if it's in the strictest sense, maybe not in Ona'ah per se, but in Gezil, is this vision that I can manipulate the other. It's wanting to control the other. It's, I think, very much what the Hachamim are, are getting at when they describe this. Even if you're taking just a small amount, it's as if you're taking from their soul. At the core, at the drive, at the very, at the very root of the drive of a person to take from another is, I can and should be involved in your life. Your life, technically speaking, should be and and, and will be controlled by me. So we mentioned that one last time. Talked a little bit of greater depth as to what the, uh, the interpretation on that one is, that the Gemara at the beginning of Ta'anit says that rain stops because of thievery, which of course is ironic, as we mentioned, uh, because rain came about in the eyes of the Hachamim that he's going to quote, Batimaleha aret Hamas, and Hamas ela gezel, so the Mabul of God in the time of Noah, as the Torah seems to be telling us, according to the rabbis, was specifically because of gezel. In turn, once there's a swear, a vow uh, from God that I won't do this again, so what's the, uh, what's the consequence of, of, of Gezel? Well, that's a circumstance where there won't be any rain. If I can't bring rain, it's so to speak, so then I'll stop the rain. We suggested a bit further at that, again, getting to the root, this was my suggestion, getting to the root of Gezel, it's assuming that something that's out of my hand should be in my hand. And the Gemara's vision, the Hachamim's vision, once, once upon a time, and to a certain extent until today, is that rain is one of those matters which is completely out of the uh, full manipulation of human beings. So if I believe, and I'm going ahead and manipulating others, assuming something out of my hand is actually in my hand, uh, so to speak, the hachamim envision God as uh, rectifying that, as turning to you and saying, uh, maybe you should realize certain things are out of your hand. I'll give you an example. The fact that rain is out of your hand, well, I'll stop it in turn, go back and envision the circumstance of taking from the other and realize it for what it is. It's something that's out of your hand and should be out of your hand. That's... Go ahead. Is it just too wealthy of an idea to I mean, you're bringing it down to the minute amount of, 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 of monetary value. It's in the possibility. Why so small? Why, why is there ki'ilu gozelet? Not sure even for that small amount, because I think we're touching on the core of the sin. It's not merely taking from the person and damaging them in the physical, <laughs> material sense. It's a psychological <laughs> manipulation. It means that your... I, I think both. I think uh, maybe I'm wrong in thinking this. If you were, and I hope it never happened or happens, if you were pickpocketed a dollar, uh, I think it, it, it bothers you more than a dollar dropped out of your pocket. And the reason is you say someone, someone encroached in my space, someone came into my pocket, into my zone, and took even a small amount as opposed to, okay, it blew away with the wind. You get less disturbed. I think that's I think that's the core of this shave peruta. I think the core of it is it's a psychological manipulation 
which is completely inappropriate. It cites from a Midrash that if you have, so to speak, a cup which is filled with sins, what's the sin that to a certain extent is mekatreg, it's prosecuting the person most, it's gezel. It's an expression which says that gezel in terms of character traits, in terms of wrongdoings, could and should be envisioned as the primary uh, the evil, as uh, that which uh, takes you down to a large extent. And so that's the statement we mentioned earlier. That's Rashina's commentary to the Torah, the Gemaran Sanhedrin. It's Gezel, which was uh, the feature of Dor HaMabul. And Musa will quote from you many other midrashim which envision other sins of that time period. But what was Nehtam Gezar Dinam? The Gezar Din was for Gezel again at its core, seemingly, especially if it's Pahot Mishaveh Peruta, a small deed, well, no harm done. What did I affect in that person? That is, that is the, uh, the, the decrepit um, uh, level that uh, human spirits can, can reach and, and can in turn in, in infect themselves and others with. Perhaps you'll say, well, this is how business works. There's no way to be effective, to be successful in business if I am... Uh, keeping uh, completely honest, and I'm not trying to make my goods look better than they are. says it's a quite simple and broad difference. If you're looking to show the quality, the high quality of your item, so any any effort is certainly good, and it's straight. That was his statement earlier that nobody wants you to do badly. Everyone's rooting for your success. That's if you're looking to show the goodness. But if alternatively you're looking to cover up the blemishes, the wrongfulness that you have in your goods, and you're trying to compensate, to overcome, and in such a circumstance, that's fraudulent. And this is when he talks about as we mentioned earlier, the word certainly in this period, oftentimes is a reference to honesty, uh, to straightness. To be emun means to be, to be straight on this matter. Uh, this is the klal. If you're looking to show the goodness, to show the accurate um, um, quality, that's fully permitted. And you're trying to overcompensate in terms of expressing that and marketing it, fully praiseworthy and okay. Uh, to look to fraudulently present something that it isn't, that's what's forbidden with midot. Moving on, he says, I don't even need to talk about midot. Midot, uh, I guess once upon a time, I guess in, in whatever capacity t- until today, just not in the traditional sense, as much. Midot um, is measurement. So when you would go and buy from someone a pound of, well, I guess you have in the supermarket, I don't know how many of us are involved in supermarkets. So if you're buying the measurement, uh, so if you, were, um, if you were tipping the scales in some way, you were fixing the scales so that it appeared as if they were getting more than they were getting, 
Uh, so the Torah has strict uh, warnings against this. Share beferush katu bahem toavat Adonai lohecha kol ha'oseilim. Pasuk says explicitly. That's honest weight. Scales. That's right. It's toeva. I mean, that's a strong word in the Torah. Toeva is an abomination. It's something terrible to a certain extent. And that's the person who uh, doesn't have honest weights. Ve'amruzal. Besides from the Gemara Bava Batra, Kashe Onshan Shel Midot Me Onshan Shel Alayot. The Chule insights from the Gemara that the Gemara questions which one, again, it's a theoretical question, is worse in terms of punishment. Is it a person who transgresses Gilui Arayot, promiscuous sexual activity, or is it a person who's misleading with their weights? It's worse to be involved in the misleading with weights. Why so? The Gemara suggests over there, it's a longer conversation. The Gemara says that this difference between which one's easier to fulfill Teshubah on. If you, if you had promiscuous sexual activity, it's not a simple Teshubah, but at least you know the person that you affected, potentially, and you can look to fix that sin. If you had uh, illegal weights, if you were tipping your scales in the wrong direction, and that's uh, potentially everywhere, affected everyone, and can't be fixed at all easily, or perhaps not at all. It's for that reason the Gemara distinguishes between the two. I think it's the statement in the Gemara. That's that a person who's a, who's a merchant, a person who's a, a selling, a selling in the market, is supposed to clean their their scales. Uh, they're supposed to make certain that their weights are set in place and clean them off every thirty days to make certain there's not even a little bit off. The kolkach lama lo belodat so that even belodat without knowing you don't uh, you don't uh, have them diminished and in turn uh, um, merit or lose um, lose zechut or get onish. Kol sheken avon haribit. And certainly, and all the more so, he says, if you look at the warnings and the violations prescribed by the Torah, the punishments for ribit, ribit is uh, interest, the Gemara has a, a person who charges interest for one reason or another. It's as if you're kofir beloke Israel. It's a person who's scoffing at the uh, authenticity of God. Statement of the Gemara being doresh da pasuk in a person who accepts and takes uh, um, interest as a person who's uh, not going to live for for the resurrection of them. It's as if they and even their dust, even the aftermath of them, uh, are, are disgusting in the eyes of God. He says, I don't need to elongate, I don't need to have a longer conversation about this. Everybody's familiar with this. Everybody's read the warnings in the Torah. Everybody has perhaps heeded those warnings. If you're transgressing that, he's so to speak saying it's not really a midat nikiyut. It's a, it's a wholehearted rebellion. Omnam klalo shel davar raba ken rabim. He says the principle of the matter is as much as our desire is great uh, to make money. Uh, so too are all the, uh, the the pitfalls, all the failures in it. To be truly cleansed and straight, it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of uh, questioning, self-questioning, introspection. And if a person has truly cleansed themselves in this context, 
Uh, they should know they've reached a high level. This is for all the people who have who have risen in the ways of of uh, of piety of hasidut, and even with distancing themselves from from uh, from lust for money, they're still not at a state of shilemut. It's the greatness which is envisioned by the friend of Iov and telling him to distance from himself any and every involvement in wrongful uh, monetary engagements. Says until now, says Ramchal, I've talked about just one perat. And as I told you initially, Ramchal tells us, I can certainly make the case for every mitzvah that you have all sorts of branches and derivatives with regards to where people will fall prey to their own uh, their own mindset and permitting it. I'm specifically talking about those that the majority fall prey to in terms of sinfulness and wrongful activity. Uh, so that was Gezel. And he uh, did at, at quite a great length talk about Gezel. We haven't really seen Mesilat Yesharim, and we won't see him talk about uh, matters at that great a length, but this entire Perekhi will do so. And he's on to the next after Gezel. So Gezel incorporated within it Ona'a and Ribit and many and, uh, and, and every other derivative with regards to not being straight, to be skewing your, your financial and engagements with others. Now, he says, Let's talk now about promiscuous sexual activity. They too are matters which uh, people naturally and innately lost. Uh, the primary example of Lotahmod is Eshet Re'echa, is the wife of your friend. It says, but in truth, the rabbis have put them second in terms of our lust and desire uh, to the money to the uh, of the other. That was the Gemara he mentioned earlier in Baba Batrashi. The statement was the majority of people are involved in Gezel, less so in Arayot, but still a large amount in Arayot. Uh, to take a moment or two to talk about the drive for Arayot, at least the way I've been uh, taught and read over course, the course of time. Uh, the suggestion of many goes as follows with regards to the drive and the lust. Words we talked about in Gezel, a certain psychological dimension. In Arayot, perhaps it's a bit different in a, in a different, uh, with a bit of a different perspective. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll start by citing the words of Harambam at the end of Hilchoti Surebiya. Harambam, when he finished talking about all the forbidden sexual uh, uh, involvements, he writes, Gedolami kolzot amru, the primary function of a person is to, uh, is to focus themselves and their minds on Torah and in turn to widen, to broaden your mind with regards to matters of wisdom. Uh, because after all, our drive for arayot is truly manifested, it's enhanced when our minds are empty from true wisdom. Alright. 
Tishke Tamid. Those are the words of Harambam, famous, iconic words of Harambam. For some reason, Harambam is describing, even though you might even uh, counter um, that, it's, that it's inaccurate, we'll, we'll counter that in turn in a moment, you might say, well, he says that your mind focused on matters of wisdom will ward you away from matters of lust with regards to promiscuous sexual activity. That's not always the easiest thing for us to envision. Uh, whereas one is cerebral in nature, it has to do with my mind being focused on that. The other is emotive, the other is a drive which is beyond anything that my mind per se is, is attached to. Uh, so how is it, what is it that we are to envision with regards to Torah and Chokmah on the one hand as somehow filling a void with regards to um, that which would maybe drive us to ta'avat uh, hanashim, uh, let's call it. And the truth is, it's a mishnah in Pirkei Avot as well. It's sehok and kalut rosh margilin la'avera. When a person's involved in sehok and kalut rosh, when their mind is diminished, well, that brings a person to a readiness, a hergel, in terms of irva and arayot and, and promiscuous uh, sexual activity. So the suggestion, generally speaking, goes as follows. It's that uh, to envision what we as human beings are seeking, uh, to put it in rabbinic terminology, is we're seeking a olam haba type of existence. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is uh, to envision as paradigms an olam hazeh versus olam haba experience is to envision the difference between an experience which has obligations, restrictions, and structure, that's what we'll call onam hazeh, and then to envision the way the rabbis, the way the pesukim sometimes will, in the, in the eyes of the rabbis, envision olam haba, it's a world of onig, of ta'anug, of shi'ashua of sorts. In other words, it's a world which has, uh, has uh, as its driving force, Petur, there's no hiyuv over there. I mean, after all, what's the words at the end of Masechet Ta'anit when the rabbis envision the end of days? How do they envision it? The sadikim o yoshevim, ve'atrotehim berashehim, and what are they doing? They're nehenin miziv ha-shechina. Now, Harambam reads those words very carefully and very specifically. What is that atara, that crown on the head? Well, it's chokmah, of course. Uh, but what does it mean that, uh, what, what is the moment that we're striving for and to a certain extent the innate human drive is to be nehenin miziv ha-shechina? Is to just have a certain ta'anug, a certain enjoyment without strings attached. That's the vision. The vision is that with regards to humanity, our innate drive is to tap into an existence where there are no responsibilities, there are no strings attached. There's just goodness, good feelings, and good drives on a constant and consistent basis. That's what we tap into when we describe olam haba. So in turn, in a this world experience, which we all live in, which we're all purposefully focused on, uh, where is it that we find, quote-unquote, the olam haba experience? I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to say, but if you put it all together, you'll, you'll appreciate it. It's in the context of gilui arayot. Gilui arayot is a realm wherein a person taps into something which is for this moment. It's experienced in the moment. It's, uh, it's, it's an emotional experience. It's a circumstance, a situation which has little to no repercussions, no planning before or after, nothing that binds you per se, it's rather just an experience of hana'a. That's the experience, the drive for humanity to involve themselves then in, in promiscuous sexual activity, that drive is born forth from 
a experience which we imagine, saying it in these words, which is me'in olam haba, it's certainly the antithesis, but that's the vision of it. The truth is, uh, to, to go a bit further on this, it's, uh, it's been suggested in, in this book here, these are letters from Rav Hutner to his students. Rav Hutner was formerly the Rosh Yeshiva, Vishivat um, Chaim Berlin here, and then Pachad Yitzchak in Israel. So he wrote to a student who was in a summer camp, and his student was talking to him about how he's splitting his time, I think, between studying and playing games. And so Rav Hutner writes to me and says, you should know that Torah is a game in and of itself. How could Torah be a game? So he cites a pasuk, of course, in several places, uh, in Tehillim, where Torah is likened to Sha'ashua. And Sha'ashua is a hard word to translate as well. And the, the closest you come to that word, at least in the Torah, is Vayisha. Vayisha and Losha'a. That's, of course, in Bereshit Perek Dalit, where we're describing Cain and Hevel. God turns to and accepts, or turns to and, and focuses on the, uh, the Minha of Hevel and not on that of Cain. The word sha'ashua, in turn, envisioned as some sort of game of sorts, is an experience where, I suggest Rav Hodner, suggests several others, a person experiences for the experience itself. Imagine a child who's involved in a game. The game is not so that they make money. I guess today, or have already skewed games as well, they all have rewards. But if you're playing, uh, I don't know, chess or something like that, I think even today there are little to no rewards. What's the, why, what's the engagement in that game? Why does a child, why do adults enjoy that game? There's something in it of itself. The experience is a sha'ashua. There's nothing more. And that is the, quote unquote, the me'in olam haba experience. That's the sha'ashua. So suggested Rav Hutner in this. He says, well, that's the Torah in turn. He says, Torah could chokhmah in its most pristine sense, is not with a means, to, as a means to an end, but rather the means is the end itself. It's what I, I think philosophers would describe as an atelic activity. It's an activity which has no purpose other than the experience itself. That's the Torah in that context. It means, Harambam, I think, is telling us at the end of Hilchoti Surebiya, if a person is striving for, again, envision it as this me'in olam haba experience, if a person is striving for a state of being wherein my experiential dimension of life is one wherein I'm not held down by consequences and determinations of what if and how will, but rather for the experience itself, well, there's one of several dimensions so that we can tap into. We can play games our entire life without having any consequences. We can involve ourselves in the have deal in, uh, in, in sexual promiscuity, or alternatively, says Harambam, you can tap into chokhmah. You can tap into Torah. So, Lule Torah Techasha Ashua is a vision of how Torah can fill that void, can fill that drive of a person where they're seeking this Olam Haba experience. And that, in turn, I once read in the book Umisara the Yehoshua, that's uh, Rabbi Yehoshua Hartman's book. He wrote after the death of his rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Shapiro. He said that he explained based on that the Gemara and Masechet Sota on Daf Memhe has a rebuke of David. So the rabbis envisioned David as being punished 
for calling Torah zimirot. He called it songs and that they saw as negative. Why is it that they never punished David or never envisioned the punishment to David for calling Torah chokmah more than once, five, six times in Tehilim? A sha'ashua, he suggested, sha'ashua is not negative. Sha'ashua is not a derogatory term with regards to Torah. Sha'ashua is, I mean, listen, uh, carpe diem is, is, is the statement that we have to live, live for the moment, be able to experience life in its fullest without thinking about the future. is not a simple human feat, but it is experienced through tapping into true wisdom. It can be experienced, lehavdil, in negative circumstances. The drive for the arayot, I'm suggesting, and it's been taught to me more than once, the drive for arayot is because of that natural drive of human beings to feel petur, to feel shi'ashua, to feel a circumstance wherein I don't have hovot, I don't have obligations, there's no consequences, there's no strings attached. It's for that reason as well I've suggested on several occasions that the rabbis, basing themselves really on Sefer Mishle and elsewhere, will envision the Torah as in some way embodying a sexual encounter. The Gemara in Masechet Pesachim and Daf Memtet is Doresh, the Pasuk in the Torah, which calls, which calls it's, it's Morasha Kihilat Yaakov. Don't call it Morasha Ela, Meorasa. The Torah is in some way an engagement. The Gemara in turn has the statement that a person who's Milamed Torah, who's Lomed Torah, Bifne Am Haaretz, it's as if he's bo'el arusato b'fanav. And the suggestion of Marsha and others is, well, if you're teaching to an amhar, it's a person who's not going to continue in their study when they're stunting, they're stopping the relationship at erusin. You're envisioning a circumstance where this could be an experiential uh, moment which can expand and continue, but if you're teaching it to a person who's not going to continue in chokmah, well, you're stopping at erusin to a certain extent. The Kemara, even more graphically in Masechet Eruvin, and Afnundalid envisions it, cites that Pasuk Ayelet Ahavim, that the Torah is in some way like an Ayala, I guess that's a female ram of some sort. It envisions the womb, it envisions the sexual experience of uh, penetration of an Ayala as something which is always exciting and always uh, always fruitful and, uh, and, and pleasurable. And so in turn, it envisions Torah in such a fashion as well. It's directly correlating Torah with that experience. That's, I think, again and again, those statements of the Hachamim, it's the Gemara and Sanhedrin we learned not so long ago in Daftzaditet, of Vinoef Isha Hasar Lev, the Derashai is that's a person who's studying Torah Lifrakim. If you study Torah from time to time, it's as if you're committing adultery. The idea, again, being the same. I can have my one moment, my several circumstances where it feels good for me, but I'm not expanding that, I'm not envisioning it as something which is continuous and embodying my spirit to a certain extent. That, in turn, is the introduction to Misilati Sharim's next words with regards to the danger and the lure or the allure of, uh, of sexual promiscuity, of giluya arayot, he's discussed for us and, and described um, gezel, he's described for us many of the derivatives with regard to that. He'll now talk about giluya arayot, which is the next on the uh, rungs of this uh, ladder with regards to drives of human beings. And, uh, and, and again, it is, in my mind, so, so, so dangerous and so appealing to human beings, specifically because 
it taps into a dimension which is so recognizable to each of us, which a void which can be and should be filled, says Harambam, say the rabbis in several contexts, by true knowledge, by an experience of wisdom, instead of that experience of one-time pleasure or uh, instant gratitude. Baruch Adonai, the